We make USAA insurance to help you save. Take advantage of discounts when you cover your home and your ride. Discover how we're helping members save at USAA.com slash bundle. Restrictions apply. Hi, this is Marissa Meyer. And this is Delaney. And this is Sloan. And you're listening to the Prince Kai Fan Pod. Hello, welcome to episode 145 of the Prince Kai Fan Pod, a Marissa Meyer book club podcast where Captain is king, Marissa is queen, and I am your host, Bethany Finger. This episode is brought to you by Rampy and Crew patron supporters. Thank you. Please welcome back BSE Lindsay. Hello. I guess if people don't listen to Patreon, they don't understand that nickname. Probably not, no. Um, it stands. Do you want to explain who you are and what your nickname okay. is in case nobody's listened to you? So before? I'm Lindsay. I am Bethany's sister, and I am the best sister ever. <laughs> Don't tell her like nine other sisters. <laughs> they w- they probably wouldn't like that, right? <laughs> Today we are going to talk about chapters forty three and forty four of Winter. But first, Lindsay, are you currently reading or watching anything that you want to share? I haven't had time to read anything other than my textbooks, but um, watching, I did start this new, a couple new shows. Um, One is called The Flight Attendant. It has Kaylee um, Cuoco in it. Cuoco, yeah. I can't ever pronounce her last name. Really good show. (laughs) And then there's another one that um, Randy introduced me to that I'm looking the name of up right now because I forgot what it was called. Oh, The Wilds, and it's on Amazon Prime Video. What about White Collar? Did you finish White Collar? No, I haven't. I haven't I haven't had time to watch anything, like, new, so I've been putting off my new shows and watch, yeah. watching Friends while I do my homework. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like me. We must be sisters. <laughs> must be. <laughs> I am rereading Hidden Demon by Abigail Spajari. It's like a comfort series of mine. Daughter of the Moon trilogy is like a comfort series of mine. So I, I re-listened to the audiobook because the second and third one aren't audiobooks yet. But the first one is an audiobook that was done by um, Amanda Garrison and it was really good. And so I reread the second one and I'm about to start the third one. I should say technically I am listening to winter the audiobook again <laughs> for I think the third time now because <laughs> nobody tell Amazon but Lindsay has the password to my audible so she gets to listen to all the books I have on there so you could listen to Daughter of the Moon because it's on I there. will do that I'm on chapter like 80 I, the book's almost over so when it's over I'll go and listen to that so let's talk about some fan art Friday our first one is from Captain Hooks and I have to say like a huge thank you and shout out to Captain Hooks because they are constantly like letting me share their content. <laughs> they don't usually let anyone share their content, but they're letting me well, that's do it. Nice. I feel very lucky. So thank you. And this is of our beautiful princess winter in the palace where the walls are bleeding. And she looks gorgeous. I love her dress and how like, I don't know, sheer and flowy it is. It's almost like, it's almost like wind or something. Yeah. It's like, Wind and material. Right, form. and it has like little sparkles on it, so it's kind of like the, uh-huh. the night sky covered in her dress. Because you see the sky in the background, it's like the same shade and um, starry night of the 
dress. Does that mean? Yeah, and the collar has like gems on it. You know what? It reminds me of. It reminds me of the shimmery dress from the Anastasia film. Oh, that's a good one. I was thinking like a shorter version. Obviously, of Cinderella. it's not blue, but oh yeah, I just meant like the shimmeriness. Yeah, because that dress had like so it almost moved the it almost like had moving lights the way that it uh, the way that it glowed. But yeah, and I also love her little ballet. Flat. Yeah, I like that she's wearing flats and not yeah not heels. <laughs> I personally cannot wear heels. I'm way too tall, and I trip over everything, so I can't wear heels. But I wear flats a lot, and I like that that they're depicting her wearing flats instead of heels. Mm -hmm. I appreciate it, yeah. But this is absolutely beautiful. It's from Captain Hooks, and you can find more of their artwork on Instagram. The next one is from EERN Arts, also an artist that lets me share a lot of their work also genuinely appreciated um this is so great i love when we get actual scenes from the book so this is from one of the very first chapters of winter when jason was uh paying his penance uh at the bottom and then at the top is him finally kissing her for the first time in the menagerie and it's just so beautiful i love that his hair is in a ponytail thank you for that Constantly, I see his hair like really short, but in the books, it's described as a very small ponytail. So I kind of appreciate that. That is nice. I, I like that little aspect of it, too. Mm-hmm. And I love that it's a passionate kiss being shown in the image as well. Because yeah, it was supposed to be really very nice. passionate in the scene. It was. Nothing there. It was like maybe tender a little bit, but. Also like that she's wearing jeans in the bottom photo yeah she looks so comfy it almost looks like overall a little bit yeah but she looks so comfy and again she's wearing little ballet flats i just find that really nice that they put her in ballet flats instead of heels yeah instead of heels because to be honest so big thank you to be honest somebody um who sees things probably shouldn't wear heels so i think it's a good idea that they put her in want to make sure that she it's like um it's like on Charmed when Shannon Doherty's character is like, if we're running around chasing demons, we really need to invest in more practical footwear. And then, like, for the rest of the show, she's wearing sneakers, no matter what her outfit is. She'll be wearing, like, club clothes. She'll be, like, literally dancing in a club and a dress, and she's got, like, sneakers on, just in case there's demons. Right, just in case. Gotta be practical. That makes complete sense. Okay, so before we get started with chapter discussion, last time Patreon members got to vote for chapter titles, Chapter 41 was Epiphany by Taylor Swift, and Chapter 42 was Help, I'm Alive by Metric. So a couple weeks ago, we had someone ask if before we do chapter discussion, we could have a quick summary of the chapter we're going to discuss. So in Chapter 43, this is my attempt at a quick summary, Winter has a dream in which she confronts her guilt over Ryu's death and her fear over Lavana finding out that she's still alive. After the dream sequence, Thorn, Iko, Scarlet, and Winter try to figure out their next move now that Cinder and Wolf have been captured. And Winter has the brilliant idea that they shouldn't go to Artemisia. They should go underground and look for Wolf soldiers. Seems very crazy, but yes, that is her 
That's it, a good summary. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> okay, so last week we left off with Cinder and Wolf getting captured. Maha was killed by Amory Park, and Kiani saved Winter and Iko from a guard and a thaumaturge. This week we start off in Winter's perspective, and we have a dream sequence. I love dream sequences. I think they're uh, very interesting to absorb as a reader because dreams are very difficult to uh, experience and interpret. So it's fun to try and challenge yourself as a writer to write those. At least for me, like I love writing dream sequences because you kind of get to do whatever you want. I think it sounds like it'd be fun. I have some pretty crazy dreams. If I were to put those into words, it people would be astounded. You should keep a dream journal. Maybe I should. I mean, yeah. I literally... And then maybe you, you could turn it into like a book of poetry someday or something. Or a crazy movie idea. I mean, <laughs> there's some dreams I have you that are... You your own telenovela. <laughs> yeah, there's some dreams I have that are just absolutely crazy. So <laughs> they'd Same. make good movies, though. So in Winter's Dream, she's at a farmhouse that she assumes is Scarlet. She's washing dishes, but they break every time she tries to wash them. And I wonder, is the seventh plate significant? Because seven is a, a significant number, usually in magic and fantasy, but just in general, seven, you know, sometimes it's lucky. So, yeah. I mean, it's possible. That's when she, like, backed away and she started to to just kind of fall to her knees and, and cry. Um, so it is possible that it is significant in this chapter. Yeah, yeah. So I just found on Psychology Today seven reasons we are captivated by the number seven. Interesting. So we'll go down this <laughs> rabbit hole. It was prominent in ancient cultures such as Greece and Egypt. Seven wonders of the world were created using mathematics and architecture where the math usually had a center focus on seven, something divisible or multiple by seven, or it ended up having seven points of focus. The Great Pyramid of Giza, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, the Temple of Artemisia at Ephesus, the Statue of Zeus at Olympus, the Mausoleum at Halicarnassus, and the Colossus of Rhodes, and even the Lighthouse of Alexandria all had significant connections with the number seven. So that alone is... That's pretty significant already. It's also very significant in every in every major religion, especially in the Old Testament. The world was created in six days and God rested on the seventh. In the New Testament, the number seven symbolizes the unity of the four corners of the earth with the Holy Trinity. The Quran speaks of seven heavens. In Hinduism, there are seven higher worlds and seven underworlds. And in Buddhism, the newborn Buddha rises and takes seven steps. Hmm, that's interesting. So it's just us Jewish people that like... <laughs> disregard of the number seven it's associated with luck and magical properties there's really no explanation for that one it just basically says that it's you know various parts of the world had beliefs about the seventh son of a seventh son or seventh daughter of a seventh daughter that he wouldn't be endowed with both good and evil magical powers it matches our memory capacity in 1956 george miller of harvard university wrote the classic papers in psychology in which he demonstrated that most people can retain roughly seven times the information in their short-term memory. That is why U.S. phone numbers are seven digits. Wow, what? crazy. 
Many other countries tend to have seven digits in their phone numbers, notwithstanding area codes, as it is the most digits most people are likely to recall. That is That's insane. crazy. Did you know no, that? No, but I can remember a lot of numbers, so that's never been a problem for See, me. See, this is why you guys listen to to Prince Kai Fan Pod. It's not just fun, y'all. We're educational. I literally have... <laughs> I don't know if I could only remember seven numbers on something. I have a bunch of my card t- numbers memorized, and I can retain a lot of... Well, numbers. it's not saying that you can only have seven. It's saying that that's the, the most easily digestible number of items and that's why they use it for numbers because the next fun fact is our mental capacity is that as long as the information is represented in seven groups it is fit for most attention spans that makes sense and you know what just occurred to me one of my favorite books from the 80s uh is by ellen conford and it's called seven days to a brand new me and you know what's also seven days the week the week yeah This is crazy. Okay. Number six, it is a prime number. Number seven, it is the most popular number in existence. Mathematician Alex Bayos asked 44,000 people to name their favorite number, and over 4,000 of them named the number seven, far more than any other number. In addition, many people named a multiple of seven or a seven that was represented twice, i.e. seven seven or seven hundred and seventy seven. That is so cool that like there's all this random information well, in the world those, about the number seven. Yeah, and then all those like casinos and things play into it too, because every time you go to a casino, all that reads across the bars are sevens. That's seven. what the winning number is seven. That's crazy. Okay, so in the dream, Lavana appears, and now we have a callback to Snow White. One of the ways the evil queen tried to kill Snow White was poisoning a hair comb and brushing her hair, and the poison seeped into yeah. her skull. So we get a callback here that there's a comb being used to brush through winter's hair and it causes her to bleed. It's kind of significant, I think, that she has this dream. In this chapter. (laughs) (laughs) You and Ruth. So, Lavana is taunting her that everyone who loves her will have to pay for it, including Ryu, who died for her. But before we talk about that, there's a really sad moment here where it says that winter has always lingered for a mother's touch. And now, those of you listening, if you remember in Ferris, when... Lavana first married Everett. She was excited to have a daughter and from the beginning kept saying, I would raise her as my own. I would love her as my own. She is my daughter. Even to a point where when she, when Winter was like four or five and she asked Everett about her mother, even Everett considered Lavana her mother in that moment. And Winter had to say, no, my real mother, my birth mother. Um, so it's kind of interesting that Winter has always longed for the love and affection and touch of a mother and Lavana, though though wanting to provide that in the very in the very beginning, pulled away from that so much that Winter never got to experience any of it in living memory. That's really sad. Yeah, makes you want to give Winter a hug, right? Yeah, it does. It makes me want to just wrap her up and and give her a big warm hug and tell her I'll I'll be your mom. It's no wonder she's attached herself to Jason so much when it seems like no one else seems to love or care about her in any way. They don't. And then she also attaches herself to um, Celine when she finds out she's alive, Mm -hmm. I think, for the same purpose. She clings to that. 
she clings to that knowledge that there's one other person who used to love her that's now back in her life. And it doesn't matter if Celine doesn't remember her. It does not matter to her at all. <laughs> she remembers Celine. And that's, and that's all that matters. <laughs> Lavana is playing up on Winter's guilt, uh, especially for Ryu's death. And we have this beautiful moment where Winter actually stands up to Lavana and, and defends herself. And that's when the dream sequence ends. And I so enjoy this winter when she wakes up from her dream, her head hurts from hitting it on the table. Another thing I think is very significant and uh, very authentic when representing dreams. Like, you know, how many times do we have a dream where we, we fall into the ground and it turns out we fall off our bed <laughs> or is that just Oh me? no, me. That happens just me, me all the time. <laughs> or I won't actually fall off the bed, but I feel like I'm falling and then I actually jolt mm-hmm. myself out of the bed. So I thought that was very significant. Um, But her head hurts because she hit it on the table. Scarlet's there. Everybody looks bedraggled. And there's this really sweet moment where Scarlet says she's sorry. She feels genuine uh, regret that she wasn't there to protect Winter. That does happen. And I think, like, in the scene, I don't know why, but it reminded me of when... um, Dorothy woke up in the end of The Wizard of Oz, and everyone's just surrounding you there. her. You were there, <laughs> That's too. what this scene <laughs> reminds me of, and then she's talking to um, Scarlet, and just, okay. it's just all very reminiscent, I think, of that scene in The Wizard of Oz. I like that, yeah. So they try to figure out what they're going to do next. They can't stay here, they can't hide, they can't fight. What are their options? Um, and I like, we, we have to speculate this. Thorne says, you're not the only one having nightmares. Thorne can have a nightmare about any number of things. But I think my theory is that he's having nightmares about Cress. He doesn't know what happened to her. All he knows is that she, she was abandoned in Artemisia of all places. Now, when Scarlet got abandoned, she lost a finger. She was tortured and manipulated by... Uh, a child of one of the Artemisia families. She was put into a cage in a zoo. And on top of that, she could have died. The only reason she was even alive for all of that was because winter. Had exactly. Her. So it's so I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if Thorne's dreams are consumed by nightmares of what has happened to Cress since he I, doesn't know. Um, now we did find out that, you know, she's okay. She sent her little video saying that she was okay and uh, with Winter and Scarlet. But I, I still think that that would have contributed a great deal to his nightmares. I agree. I think that um, the care that he has for Cress is um, overwhelming him, and all of those nightmares are coming up to the surface because he's worried about her safety. He does, Like you said, mm-hmm. he has no idea what happened to her, and for all he knows, she could be dead. And because all we know is that Winter and Scarlet got away. We don't know what happened to Jason and Cress. We don't know if they were caught. We don't know if they got away with it. We really don't know anything. We know that when Winter and Scarlet arrived, they brought news that Cress had been safe and that Jason was going to keep her safe. We learned that Jason was supposed to be keeping Cress safe. But considering none of the crew, for very good reason, none of the crew trust Jason Least of all, Thorn, who right. said as soon as he saw Jason again, him. he was going to punch him for he was going to punch him for betraying them. So I think Thorn has very little comfort in the fact that 
Cress's life is in the hands of Jason. I th- think I agree with that. Um, he has no he has no trust in Jason. He has no reason to trust Jason. He screwed them over once before, or so Thorne thought. And yeah, no, he, he did. But <laughs> he sold them out so he could get back yeah. to winter. Now, if we had to speculate that his nightmares were caused by anything else, what do you think it would be? Probably just the fact that, I mean, they're all very stressed out. They've had very little food. They have had very little sleep. They're going to go and storm at Capitol and and try and um, beat out the Queen and, and become better people for it in the future. So all of that could lead to a lot of stress and cause a person to have nightmares about all kinds of things. I agree. Can we talk about Thorne's rousing speech? I'm going to play the Rebecca Solaire audio clip because you guys know how much I'd rather listen to her than myself talk. But I do love Thorne's recollection of events. Oh, yeah. He has a great recollection of (laughs) the way things happen. Stop it. She lifted her head, not so much at Thorne's command, but at the hardened tone beneath it. Scarlet and Iko, too, looked up. Stop acting discouraged, all of you. We don't have time for it. You are not discouraged? Winter asked. It's not in my vocabulary. Thorne pushed himself off the door. Iko, did we break into that guardhouse and broadcast Cinder's message across all of Luna? Yes, Captain. And Scarlet, did I rescue you and Wolf when the entire city of Paris was under siege? She raised an eyebrow at him. Actually, I'm pretty sure Cinder... Yes, I did. He pointed at Iko. Did I rescue you and Cinder from that prison cell and fly us all to safety aboard the Rampion? Well, at the time, I wasn't exactly aces, Iko. Just answer the question. Scarlet drummed her fingers. What's your point? My point is that I'm going to figure this out, like I always do. First, we're going to find a way to get into Artemisia. We're going to find Cress and rescue Cinder and Wolf. We're going to overthrow Levana. And by the stars above, we are going to make Cinder a queen so she can pay us a lot of money from her royal coffers and we can all retire very rich and very alive. Got it? Winter started to clap. Brilliant speech, such gumption and bravado. And yet, strangely lacking in any sort of actual strategy, said Scarlet. Oh, thorny boy. That speech is very encouraging, but at the same time, very discouraging. <laughs> he's, he's, it's his Braveheart yeah. moment, right? But also, also completely unwarranted. No, you did not do any of that. What did, what did Scarlet say? That was all Cinder. You were along for the right, ride, you kid. Just happened to be there. I will give him credit for rescuing Cress. But Cress was delivered to the doctor who was going to save her anyways. And Thorne's neglect is how she got captured in the that first is place. true. So, as much as we might love Thorne, as much as I think he has made great strides and progress, uh, this rousing speech is kind of unwarranted. And he's got a very different recollection of events. His, his recollection is complete bullshit. <laughs> I love that Winter starts clapping and Scarlet's like, yeah, but none of that has an actual strategy. Right. So There's what was your no point? strategy to it at all. It's just, we're going to get there, we're going to make money, and that's going to be the end of it. Like, there's no plan whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> and again, I love this, like, friendship back and forth between Winter and Scarlet because 
Scarlet is like, we're not taking Winter back to Artemisia. And then Winter's like, I'll just go underground. And she's like, you're not a mole. <laughs> yes, I remember that part. Like, she's like, you can't just go underground crazy. You're not a mole. <laughs> you don't need to live underground. <laughs> I love also that Scarlet is an ugly crier because I'm an ugly crier. So it's like, yes, girl. I feel you. I, I agree with that. I think it's it's great that she's an ugly crier. I think most people are ugly criers. It's just movies and TV shows have told us that that's right. not the case. I agree with that. Or actually, no, Quentin's not an ugly crier, right? Like, he looks very stoic when he cries. I don't know what it is about when Quentin cries. It's sad. It is heartbreaking. It's like a puppy. Because it doesn't happen. Right. It doesn't happen very often. So when it does happen, you're like, oh, that's sad. Yeah. I've only seen him cry once in 15 years. Same. I've also only seen him ever cry once. Anyways. I've also seen Randy cry once in the eight years I've known him. He'd get very mad at me for saying this, but he cried at the end of a movie. And I had never seen him cry before. I will say Quentin gets choked up every once in a while. Like something will get him in the feels. Um, Like there's one scene on Grey's Anatomy where, spoilers, but there's one scene in one of the early scenes of Grey's Anatomy where um, Dr. Bailey talks about like her marriage falling apart and she's crying and she's upset. And uh, Quentin is like, I'd marry her. She's so tiny and so cute. And like, <laughs> I don't remember what movie it was, but there was this kid that kept getting picked on. And uh... we make USAA insurance to help you save. Take advantage of discounts when you cover your home and your ride. Discover how we're helping members save at usaa.com/bundle. Restrictions apply. It just, it hurt Randy, and he cried. Poor Randall. I was just going to bring us back. Also, poor our friends, because they're right. They don't have a lot of choices, and they don't have a lot of strategies. And the one Winter comes up with is, is let's go underground and seek out wolf mutant soldiers and see if they want to turn from their queen and help us yes, for no she's reason. she's absolutely crazy for thinking that. Because she's... Like, well, he likes me, so I think all the other wolf soldiers will like me. And keep in mind, these aren't wolf soldiers the way that Wolf is, the way that Zayev is. These are the mutant modified right. ones. These are the ones that Kai and the other Earthen leaders saw standing, uh, standing upright, where their jaws were misshapen, where their their skulls seemed to have been stretched across their skin, where they literally look like animals these are the ones that have been terrorizing earth for weeks um they they're you know like zayev was able to blend in for the most part you know other than the teeth um (laughs) but these ones are actual wolves on two right it's like it's like um the book little red riding hood when it's a real wolf in the bed and gonna come and eat you that's what these kind of soldiers are yeah. Wolves are. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So good luck with that, Winter. Let's talk about chapter titles. Okay. For my chapter title, I chose Under Pressure by David Bowie and Queen. They are feeling a lot of pressure <laughs> to go out and be a bed, like to go out and defeat Lavana and make things happen and get moving and get out of the place that they're in so that they can start their revolution. 
And also because I was on short time crunch. <laughs> <laughs> One of the lyrics I think that's best from your song choice is it's the terror of knowing what this world is about. Watching some good friends scream, let me out. That is a perfect lyric that sums up this chapter. Absolutely. What was your song choice? My song choice was These Dreams by Hearts, which I immediately thought of as soon as I started reading this chapter, like in my notes. I I took like two notes and then it says (laughs) These Dreams, which is a wonderful song. It's by heart. It's from the 80s. And it's just I love that song. But like it doesn't work perfectly, but I really like that it's about dreams and darkness. There's a quote in there. Full moon hangs overhead. Darkness on the edge, shadows where I stand. I search for time on a watch with no hands. I want to see clearly, come closer than this, but all I remember are the dreams and the mist. That's a good lyric. Is it cloak and dagger? Could it be spring or fall? I walk without a cut through a stained glass wall. Weaker is my eyesight, candle in my grip, and words that have no form are falling from my lips. So yeah, I just think that that's like, obviously it's a beautiful song because it's about dreams and and winter has a dream. But I think it also addresses some of the concerns that our heroines have in terms of the struggle that they're going through, the struggle that all of the lunars are going through. And I think it brings into question a lot of the concerns that our friends have in this chapter where they don't really know uh, what they're supposed to do. I agree with that. I also think that I don't know if you said this or already or not, but I think that it also plays into winter and how every time she has a hallucination, she's like further away from reality. And Mm -hmm. um, the song, I think sums that up in the chorus. So, And I think there's also a lot of imagery in the song that we see throughout the book. The bright moon, um, the scars that that leave you without breath, the broken glass, the fractured mirrors. Uh, Yeah, I think that those are representations of imagery that we see throughout the series. So, yeah. Um, Patreon members will get to vote for which one of those uh, songs picks the chapter title. Lindsay, what about your quote for Um, this one? For my quote for this chapter, I chose... I can find it. <laughs> it's uh, yes. 389. Thorn gaze swiveled from Iko to winter. Her soldiers, you mean her mutant wolf soldiers? Are you insane? Winter started to giggle. I might as well be, she said, placing a hand on Thorn's cheek. For everyone tells me so. I just love... I love that. I love both <laughs> Thorn... I picked the whole quote because I can literally picture in my head Thorne just like looking at Iko and then looking at Winter and then looking back at Iko trying to see the madness between them. I also love that Winter is just like everyone tells me so and I love Rebecca Solaire's rendition of this chapter. Her Winter voice is just perfect. When you listen to the audiobook and you hear this part it just it makes the whole scene better and every time I read that I picture it in my head agreed what was your quote my quote was winter started to clap brilliant speech such gumption and bravado and yet strangely lacking in any sort of actual strategy (laughs) 
Love it. Because it's 100% true. Thorin is like, you guys, I'm the best. And Scarlet is like, you're not, because Cinder did all of that. And also, that doesn't help us any. Good for you bragging, but we're still trapped I here. I also love that Winter actually claps for him. As if it was a good speech. <laughs> Which, the way he presented it, yes. What? Well, yeah, there was confidence in the everything he said. The words behind it, no. It was, it was very <laughs> captain-like. It was very captain-like. It might be one of the first times I've seen him actually be a leader to this group of misfits. But I can't disagree with Scarlett's <laughs> logic that it served no Whatsoever. purpose. <laughs> Hey, I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire. We're the hosts of Fictional Hangover Podcast. Fictional Hangover is a podcast about young adult and new adult books, series, authors, and voice actors that is full of spoilers. New episodes are released every Wednesday. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts or on fictionalhangover.com. Remember, the only cure for a fictional hangover is another book. Now, back to the episode. So let's talk about chapter 44. My summary of chapter 44 uh, Jason and Cress are hiding in his room when Keeney shows up to uh, warn them that he knows Winter is alive. And if he knows, then eventually the queen is going to know. And Jason and Cress and decide it's time to leave Artemisia before they're captured and killed. That's a good summary. This is actually a very yeah, short chapter. It is a summarize. very, very short chapter. I do like that we get Cress's point of view. Because we haven't been in her perspective since chapter 26. That's a long time. So Jason is updating her as she sits on the floor. I feel so lonely for Cress right now. Cress lived alone with nothing but her and her programmed self for years. And then she had all these wonderful friends. And now she's back to being alone and, and she, You know, she was used to being by herself and... She was fine with it, but like you said, she's got all these friends now, so she's used to them being around and being with them, and just now she's by herself, and it's sad, and she's on the floor. And she's, like, on the floor wishing she could, like, text them, and uh, it's just heartbreaking. I have artwork of Cress sitting with a laptop in her lap, and I feel like I was going to share it, and I now I feel like maybe I shared it, it already. If you go to my page, if you go to Instagram or princekaifanpod.com, you'll see it. And it's a, it's an artwork of Crest just like kind of sitting on the floor. And she's got her her laptop kind of in her lap. And it kind of reminds me of this chapter where she's just absorbed in what's going on. You did find yeah. it on my Instagram? Um, you have to scroll a bit. But I find it funny because while I was scrolling was a um, video of you sitting on the floor Writing in a little book, oh. doing signatures at the, I think, the Texas Teen oh, Book Festival. Oh, yes. I was, yeah, I was signing autographs so that day. I thought that it was, was fun. Yeah. I fun thought it day. was funny that I saw that at the same time that we were talking about Cress sitting on the floor. And Cress is your favorite character, so. I'm not the, oh, there it is. Okay, so if you go to. It's from December 17th. Way back in December. So, yeah. But it's on Instagram. It's also on the Prince Kai Fan Pod website under fan art for 2021. Um, but, yeah, it kind of reminds me of her just sitting in Jason's room waiting for the next step. I agree with that. It, I think that's a yeah. good... Um, sorry. I think that's a good image of it. I like... <laughs> 
I like this little like camaraderie between Jason and Cress where he's they joke together. Like it's kind of forced, but you know, he's Jason's an asshole. At least so hearing him be kind to anyone is like, oh, he has right. a soul. Right, anyone besides Winter, because you know he has a soul for Winter, but this is the first time we mm-hmm. actually see him caring about somebody else. He's a little aggressive and impatient with her sometimes. That's even. true. Now, usually it's it's when he's concerned about her safety, but still. Because she never seems to be. But it's the night of the wedding, and she's like, bring me back some cake. <laughs> And then instead of saying "haha, very funny" or something like that, he actually seems yeah, he's he'll try. try, and he's very genuine about he'll it. Try, too. yeah, which is sweet. So, Keeney shows up, and Jason's like, "Oh, the girl is my business," and Keeney is like, "Please tell me." Please, like, I would believe for a second that you have a Right, mistress. because everybody knows he's so in love with Winter that he would never do something like that. And, you know, so far, Kres has been a, a, a well-kept secret. She only goes to the bathroom, like, if she really has to. No one has seen that she's there. Jason has kept her very well hidden. So, I mean, he's, he's doing his job in terms of... What right. he promised. He's doing a good job hiding. It's partly her. why she's so lonely, I think. I just, Jason cracked me up in this chapter that he's just like trying to be as badass as possible. When Thorne does it, you're kind of like, I don't know what the nice way of saying this is, but when Thorne plays the, plays the bad guy or the, the, I'm the tough guy, like it comes off as, as kind of a little forced. It, it kind of, I'm going to throw a friend's reference in here, but it kind of reminds me of like if Joey was going to be a bad guy versus if Ross was going to try to be a bad guy. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right. Like Thorne could probably hold his own in a fight. We saw he was really brave um, and intimidating when he was in Farafra, but for the most part, he's fun and lighthearted. Right. Jason's actually kind of scary. Yes. There's like a couple of snide comments. Forget Joey and Ross. It's more like Ross and Phoebe. Because <laughs> he literally pulls the gun on him and says, I'd rather not kill you, but you're going to have to give me a and really good reason. And it's while his back is turned to him, so he's holding a gun up to his back. He can't even see it at first. Yeah, it is says he? Jason aimed, kept the gun aimed at his back. I don't like people knowing my business. Mm-hmm. Page 392. Mm, you are correct. I love it. I'd rather not kill you, but you're going to have Anyway, so his eyebrow twitched, and he looks at Cress again. How about the sound of a gun will bring every guard running? Will it? I see this is, like, just so much back will and forth. Like, <laughs> not the welcome I was expecting. I don't like people knowing my business. Kinney, isn't it? That's right. I never got to thank you for vouching for me at the trial. Don't mention it. I'd rather not kill you, said Jason. But you're going to have to give me a really good reason not to. I saved your life. Covered that already. How about the sound from the gun will bring every guard running? Most are already on duty. I'll take the risk. Then, how about because I saved Princess Winter's life? already on duty i'll take right the they're like they're probably already at the wedding no one's gonna hear it let's go buddy <laughs> it's 
It reminds me of that time you mad, bro. Like... <laughs> you mad, bro. <laughs> That's what it reminds me of. <laughs> you know what it reminds me of is in How I Met Your Mother. Whenever Barney like is trying to pull one over on everybody, he does his what up. So like, there's one where he's calling out Marshall for eating olives and he's like hey Marshall this whole you don't like olives thing yeah isn't that funny two nights ago Mar- olives were on the table you had some what up <laughs> that is true <laughs> <laughs> it's like an interrogation <laughs> I just love that like he and you tries to be like I don't know forthcoming and, and he's like I'm just here to give you a warning and Jason's like Mah! he's like I saved your wife once, and Jason's like, like, And it wasn't until he brought up winter that Jason was like, oh, really, what? 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 <laughs> what happened? Poor Cresto is like a deer in the headlights. Jason is like, take his weapons. Cresto's like, what? what? Weapons? Uh, what? Okay. Her hands are like shaking, and she's like, you again. Oh my god, what am I supposed to do with it? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like, again, friends. When Rachel is holding the baby for the first time. And she's like, this is how <laughs> this I would, is how hold, I would a hold a football. <laughs> Holds it way far away from her body. <laughs> so far away. So I, I love that Keany does apologize. Like, I know you cared for her more than any of us. Um, and this is where Cress is like, so she's alive. It's actually Cress that asks for that verification. And Jason asks if she looked all right. Because he wants to check up on her. He's not been with her. He knows that he has. she has hallucinations. He's worried about her. Yeah. I love that Keeney, with a gun to his head or his back, is still trying. He's like, I'd say she looked a lot better than just all right. But then you'd probably shoot me after all. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> so Keeney, uh confesses to Jason that while he was in... Uh, that while he was in RM9, there was a raid, and he discovered Winter. He saved her life by killing Jericho, uh, Jericho and he told Winter and her companion to go into hiding. But Amory did find Jason's pod ship in the sector, so he might want a GTFO. Yes. Otherwise, Lavana's going to come for him soon. Yes. Because... Freaking, what's his name again? The one that found uh, the pod chip. Amory. Amory? Freaking Amory. So far up Lavana's butt that he would do anything to get on her good side. To stay on her good side. I think there's a part of Amory that kind of wishes Kai didn't exist and then Amory could marry her and then he would be... Uh, King. Probably because you know he did want to um, marry Winter. Marry Winter in the family. Mm-hmm. So I think that is correct information. Yeah. So we find out the reason Keeney is so protective of Winter is that Winter once saved his sister's life. Her Highness persuaded the Queen to give my sister the maid's position instead of killing her, so I owe her a lot. After that reveal, Keeney tells Cress he never saw her, and then he leaves. Jason and Cress decide that they have to get out of Artemisia. Let's talk real quick 
about something that happens in this chapter that's kind of heartbreaking. Jason, did Lavana threaten to hurt someone if you didn't kill Winter? Of course she did. That's how she operates. Who? No one. No one important. And you know it was his his family. His family and three innocent children. And we know it's also because this is how Jason, this is Jason's self-preservation. Right, exactly. And in this same scene, we know that um, Kenny has had the same thing happen to him because Lavana mm-hmm. ordered his little sister to be killed after a maid stole a pair of, sh- of earrings. After he released a maid who stole a pair of earrings for him releasing her. For his actions would be taken out on on his sister. On her. Yeah. So that is the end of this chapter. What was your song title? So my song title for this chapter was Breakaway by Kelly Clarkson. Because in the end, they are running away. They are breaking away from the castle or wherever, Artemisia, and they are going to find Jason and Cress are going to find the rest of them so that they can save Winter and the rest of them. So mine was Stand by Rascal Flatts, uh, which is a self-empowering song about when you feel like you're most defeated, that's when you have to reach down within yourself um, and and find courage that you thought you were losing out on. When push comes to shove, you taste what you're made of. You might bend till you break, and it's all you can take. On your knees, you look up, decide you've had enough. You get mad, you get strong. Wipe your hands, shake it off, then you stand. Those are very good lyrics for this chapter. Thank you. So let's talk about quotes. So for my quote, I chose her heart cracked for him for winter for victims she didn't even know. What was your quote? Um, I chose it because it's just kind of heartbreaking to see how Cress is feeling towards these people. People she doesn't even know. People she um, does know like winter and even Jason. She's starting to feel sad for Jason. Mm-hmm. I agree. So mine was, I'd rather not kill you, said Jason, but you're going to have to give me a really good reason not to. Just love Jason in this chapter. I I love Jason. Uh, I love Alpha Jason <laughs> <laughs> with his with his haunches up and his chest puffed out. <laughs> I can literally picture so, him just like like standing chest out. Chest out. <laughs> Uh, so this week the bonus word hair appeared three times. The bonus word captain appeared one. Next time we are going to cover chapters 45 and 46. Lindsay, where can people find you on social media if they would like to do Um, so? You can find me on Instagram. My name is Lindsay Myers and my, um, I think my Instagram thing is Lindsay6.13. Nice. I'm also on Snapchat uh, and Facebook. Forgot about Snapchat. <laughs> if you want to add me on Snapchat, so, it's LR Myers 613. There we go. Thank you, as always, for being here. Of BSC. course. I always am appreciated. BBSC. I'm here every time you need me. And if you guys want to hear more of Lindsay's voice, you can go to patreon.com slash where she and I did commentary on every Twilight next, film. 
We have a surprise coming up. Is it a surprise? It? We don't need to make it a surprise. We're going to do Harry yeah. Potter next. Harry Potter's next. Yeah. Not a big fan of J.K. Rowling anymore, but I refuse to let her ruin my childhood. <laughs> I... So I stand by Harry Potter. That does not mean I stand by J.K. I, she has a lot of controversy, and I do not like her personally, but Harry Potter is one of my nostalgic childhood movies that I love to rewatch, so mm-hmm. she's not taking that away. Yeah. So same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so thank you, everyone, for being here. Lindsay, thank you for coming. You can follow Prince Kai Fam Pod on Instagram, rate, review, and subscribe, Prince Kai Fam Pod. And check out Patreon for a chance to be our guest on an episode with me and more fun perks. And that's it for today, okay. folks. Um, keep keep reading, keep listening, and until next time, don't, don't get, get glamored. Bye. Bye. The chapters discussed today are from Winter by Marissa Meyer, and the audio clips were from Rebecca Solaire's performance of Winter, a Macmillan audiobook production. This podcast is hosted and produced by Bethany Finger, and today's special guest was Lindsay Myers. The intro-outro music was composed by Emma Pavo, and the logo art was created by Sunlit Tangles on Instagram. Thank you for listening! You are getting sleepy, very sleepy. Your CPAP mask is clamped tightly to your face. Right, my darling? Yes, dear. You will not toss and turn through the whooshing. You will not throw the mask. You will not dislodge the hose and blast air all about the bedroom. You will not wake me, your loving husband, who yearns for even a single night of uninterrupted slumber, please. It's not working, Harold. People who struggle with CPAP have partners who struggle too. Luckily, now there's Inspire. Inspire treats the root cause of sleep apnea inside your body. While you sleep, Inspire keeps your airway clear so you can breathe normally and rest comfortably. No mask, no hose, just sleep. When I snap my fingers, you will remember to visit InspireSleep.com to learn more. Inspire, sleep apnea innovation. Inspire is not for everyone. Talk to your doctor to see if it's right for you and review important safety information at InspireSleep.com.